Welcome to the Contracting Handbook Podcast, a podcast for how to run a small contracting company. Whether you're a general contractor like me or a trade contractor, starting fresh or been in business for years, here's all the stuff you never knew you'd have to know before you started your contracting business with the man who's seen it all, your host, Mike Kenoki. That's me. and principal architect of the award-winning Coates Design out of Bainbridge Island, Washington. Uh, they've been awarded Best of House. it looks like about a dozen times, and you can check out their work at Coates underscore design on Instagram or at their website, CoatesDesign.com. So without further ado, Matthew Coates, thank you for being here. Thank you, Mike. Good to meet you. Likewise. So yeah, I really love your company's work from what I've seen online. And uh, I believe I read you've been in business for about 15 years now. Um, so tell me, how'd you, how'd you get here? Where'd you start? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's been about 15 years, I guess, uh, with my own practice. And, you know, uh, I started my career, actually, I've been working as an architect since I was 14 believe it or not, um, back in the good old days, you know, running blueprints and, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, so started doing that and then, um, just fell in love with the process of designing and building and, uh, found it pretty inspirational. Um, I moved out here after graduate school out to Seattle, I mean, uh, and ended up working for some of the big firms, you know, and, and did some, like international airports and um, worked on the Bill and Melinda Gates headquarters design. And after a while of kind of working on these big, huge corporate projects, I guess I just, um, I missed the kind of intimate relationship where you get to really know people and their personalities and, 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 and feel like, I wanted to feel like my work was having more of a personal effect. You know what I mean? Like instead of just, my, my life energy just going out into these huge organizations, it was really hard to see the personal impact that was even having. And so uh, that's why I ended up starting my own practice was just because I wanted to be able to um, have a, or at least sense the positive impact that I wanted to have um, in my community, but also with people, you know, couples, families, things like that. That. And so that's why I started my own practice. And um, that was back in 2005, I guess. And yeah, it's been a journey of just kind of growing slowly, little by little, uh, house by house, project by project. And um, now, you know, we've been, we're about 16 people now. And uh, I think we have nine licensed architects. And it's, it's been fun, you know. And I, I always look forward to getting up in the morning because we were doing some really fun work. That's awesome. I, and, and yeah, the work that your projects look uh, really interesting and fun to work on uh, from a builder's perspective, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, and would have their own added challenges uh, for, for the builder and for the, you know, the team to, to tackle. So um, in listening to that, you, you talked about you're wanting to return to, you know, more of a personal 
effect on the projects and working with clients. So this is getting a little philosophical right off, but can you tell me about like biophilia and how that relates to um, your projects, working with your clients, um, green building, you know, and, and for those out there, biophilia is, you know, it's how humans react to natural materials and environments and, and how they integrate it into the projects. So uh, this seems like a yes, good, so, yeah. Go ahead. We got a little delay, I guess. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, green building is a, is a huge, you know, canopy of all kinds of issues and biophilia is one of those issues. And um, I, I do find that um, concept particularly interesting. I, I think for, from a practical point of view for, you know, most of your listeners, I think, the way to look at it is just finding analogies or symbolism and even functional um, aptitude with, with how we're designing and building relative to the natural world. And so, for example, think about a structure as a living entity, you know, about how it breathes with its mechanical system and the energy is it's you know can be its brain stem and you know there's an analogy there that is sort of interesting when you think about it and how buildings need maintenance and buildings you know need TLC and uh, to that point I've always been interested with the you know when we finish a project whether you're the designer or the contractor um, this is what I'm going to mention is sort of the proof of this, this analogy is that, you know, you're never really done with a project. I mean, you might pack up your tools and walk away, but the project is never actually complete. Meaning usually when, let's say we're doing a house, like owners will be moving in while we're doing punch list and the, the, the punch list items begin to almost overlap with the wear and tear that those owners are starting to have on the house, right? That, well, they, they bumped the wall when they moved in the piano or, you know, they got hair clogged in the dishwasher or whatever, right? And it's like these things start to overlap. So there's never this like finite moment when, okay, everything is perfect and the house is done and I can wash my hands and walk away. And, and that to me is symbolic of this idea of the home sort of being a living thing. It has a life of its own. And I think of, you know, work I've done on large airports and uh, hospital campuses, and they're the same way. I mean, there are always projects going on in hospitals and large airports. It is nonstop. And, and much like you know, a living being has to constantly be regenerating and improving itself. Um, structures are the same way. Um, so that's a very general way of looking at biophilia, but there are specific examples. Like I know they were, uh, there's like a, a self-cleaning glass, for example, that they looked at the, the paw prints of, I think it was geckos. Like they, they if you look at a gecko, uh, paw, like a, the, the pads on their feet, Mm -hmm. You can see a specific kind of molecular structure and 
they use that in designing new types of glass that actually are self-cleaning. And they, so that's an exact analogy. I know they used shark skin for, um, you know, designing like Michael Phelps's swimsuit. And there's all kinds of uh, analogies like that out there that we can look to nature to inspire, you know, really effective um, ways of designing and building, you know, new materials and new um, systems. Anyways, that, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's uh, great material there. And so um, when you're incorporating in your projects, you're incorporating the environment, the natural environment around you. I've seen um, one of the one of the photos on your website is of a house with a green roof, um, you know, and it's a lead, I believe, a lead certified home and maybe the that was one of the first in Washington? Actually, it was one of the, I, I have to double check, but I believe it was one of the very first lead <clears throat> platinum single family residences in the country, actually. Awesome. And for those of you out there or outside the US that don't know what LEED is, it's a leadership in energy and environmental design designation. Yeah, it's basically the the gold standard for measuring the the relative you know greenness of a project. So yeah, yeah. So obviously, your clients are drawn to your work, um, and they choose you to be their architectural firm. Uh, they're coming specifically at you. Um, and so, what is your what is your involvement with the projects? And of course, this is really that's a really broad question um so let's start with the you know initial planning phase do you want to hear their ideas right away do you want to see the lay of the land or do you or do you just want to put or give them ideas you know it's, it's a little bit all of the above if uh -huh. that's the choice <laughs> okay it's it's a blend and and um I've been a big believer in not really having a prescription or a prescribed process. I mean, certainly you have the ordinary stages of a project. I mean, that's hard to change, but how you go about executing the work within those stages can be different depending on who the client is, where the project is, what the project is, and you know, what's the budget, what's the schedule. All those things can determine a change to the process. And so what I like to do with my clients is establish all of those factors in the beginning through conversation and basically an interview process. And then we design the process together before we do anything. And I find that is most helpful. So for example, I mean, a lot of your listeners are contractors and I've done a lot of houses for contractors and it's a very different process for us when we're working with someone who gets it and will be building the house themselves. Um, it's a different level of detail. Um, and the design is often pretty collaborative, um, which we like, and it's different. So each project I would say generally starts out the same, but how we get to the end product is always a little different. Um, I do like seeing the site. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a believer in just, you know, repetitive building, just re building the same house in different locations, just because that's not something I'm 
interested in. I find that the house, the building, the structure, whatever it is, really is best when it can respond to the landscape and respond to its site, whatever the site is, whether it's a beautiful view or a noisy road, right? Or neighbors on both sides um, or glare uh, uh, from the sun. So the house, the structure, how we design it needs to be a response to the site. And in that way, I think that sometimes the site designs the building, right? If you're, I think if you're listening carefully and you're observing the right things, um, it will kind of design itself. And we become more of a translator than, a, say, a dictator of design. I like it. And so at, at what juncture in that planning phase with your client do you start seeking feedback from a builder in terms of, do you, when, is it when you want final pricing or are there things along the way where you say, hey, we need to, no, we should yeah. talk <clears throat> Yeah, I see, I really believe that, you know, there's three legs on the stool and it's, you know, the owner first and <clears> foremost, <throat> and then it's us, the architect and the contractor. And um, it's, it's hard to sit on a stool with two legs. And so I really prefer and almost always get the contractors involved really early. And there's so many reasons why, um, you know, it is a sort of cart and horse, chicken and egg thing because you know if we if we go to a contractor and say, "Hey, what's this house going to cost?" They're going to be like, "Well, what house?" Right? You're going to say, "Well, like, what? How big is it? What's it made of, etc." So we need to have something on paper. So what I typically do is work with our clients through a, just a schematic design package. Just get a concept, basic plans, elevations. Uh, maybe a section, some structural concept that we can convey to the contractors and, and invite them to come and dialogue about that and you know, bring a price um, and, and talk with us about their observations of the design. Like, hey, you know, this is going to be difficult because of I can't get my boom truck in there or, uh, you know, we've had situations on steep slopes where, you know, pumping concrete was a very challenging thing because it was 300 feet of pipe, you know, straight downhill. And the back pressure on that was extreme. And so we went with a different foundation system. And so it's, it's always helpful to have the contractor involved from the beginning and tracking the project and being involved in the design of the project to the extent that we're getting input on constructability, materials availability, really everything. Um, I find it enormously helpful. And I think we all end up with a better product at the end if we've been working together on it. And I really dislike the idea of waiting until the end of construction documents to get a price. I mean, that to me makes no sense at all because we've now set up an environment where contractors might, might be incentivized to bid low just to get the job or they don't have the information. So they make guesses, right? They're, they're guessing when, if we had been talking about this project for six months, they would, know as much as I do about it and will have helped shape it 
and be able to give us a more reliable number, one that we feel good about, our clients feel more safe with, and frankly, that the contractor feels good about too. That's equally important. Yeah, that's it. And that saves time because you, you, uh, the contractor, you might have had a couple options. The contractor says, well, along the way here, this option was going to cost this much. And now you don't have to go back and take it out of all the documents. You have to redraw it, you know. Exactly. Exactly. uh, Well, and uh, that's great. That's, I, I, I love that level of involvement. Um, And, but, you know, back to some basics here, the, the, the contractor architect relationship is notoriously um, fraught with, you know, um, different attitudes and, and uh, words to describe each other. And, you know, not everybody, not everybody is willing to work with an architect. A lot of people have been in their trade for a really long time. They think, well, who's this guy coming to tell me this? So how do you get, how do you get people in the trades to follow your lead? Or is that, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's going to be personalities like that in every business, uh, even in architecture, you know, I just think that that, you know, if, if your attitude, whatever your business is, is that, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years and it's going to be done, you know, that's just, that's just a, not a good attitude, right? I don't care what it is, if it's, you know, building or designing or, you know, something in between. I, I it just, I like to work with people that are open-minded and, you know, easy to work with, communicate well, and want to learn more and want and it, see it as a mutually beneficial process. Um, you know, nobody knows everything that's out there. I certainly don't. And, it really just comes down to respect, you know, is really what it comes down to. It's like, I bring in contractors who I respect and they also respect me because I respect them. And that, right. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. you you get, it's just like anything in life. I mean, you get out of those relationships, whether they're, you know, business or pleasure, um, what you put into them. And if you walk into any relationship with a bad attitude, like you're projecting, you know, all this, who's this guy telling me what to do? And, you know, that's, that's, I would say not the, the best attitude to begin a relationship with. Um, instead, you know, let's all take our ego out of it and open up a little bit and say, Hey, maybe there is a different way to do this. Maybe, yeah, I've been doing this this way for 20 years, but there things change and maybe there's a new technique, you know? Uh, I mean, I'll give you a good example where I learned that lesson, right? You know, I, I was with waterproofing. Um, I was working with a contractor on a really nice house and he was all gung-ho on liquid applied waterproofing. And I was it's like, no, no, we're not, we're not doing that. You know, that I don't trust it. Right. I didn't, I never heard of it. I never used it. And, and he, you know, he had to convince me. Right. And, but I was open to it and I did my, re- I'm like, actually, this is the way to go. You know, and I really, now I use it all the time. And um, that, so that I think goes both ways. You know, we, we've got to listen and be open-minded and, 
you know, at the end of the day, you know, the construction documents are the construction documents, you know, so what's in the construction documents needs to be built. But I also deeply respect the fact that the contractor has got their warranty and their name on it. So they have to kind of be a part of agreeing that that's the best approach. And I just don't think you're ever going to get there and have a good outcome if you walk into it with, you know, uh, some kind of expectation of conflict. I don't, I, I look at relationship with contractors is like we're on a team right um we're on a team and and for the most part we need to stay in our lane you know like i'll stay in my lane for the most part and you'll stay in your lane for the most part um but we do need each other right the the the, the result is always going to be better when you have an excellent contractor and an excellent architect and an excellent owner working together as opposed to everyone, you know, standing in their corners and they come out swinging. I don't, I don't think that's uh, productive or enjoyable, frankly. Yeah, the that it's the integrated project delivery, uh, yeah. and I would have to agree. Um, you know, when I was younger, my ego definitely got in the way of collaborating with on larger projects, and now give me my lane. You guys take yours and let, let's stay here. Cause we'll get a lot more done. We'll yeah. have a lot less to think about at night. If we just let the other, let the professional deal with their area and, and yeah. uh, really come up with a better, a better product. So what about the, what about the attitude of the homeowner who's, or someone wants to build a home and says, I've got a good builder. Why do I need an architect? I mean, we kind of just answer that in a way, but you know, um, that, that is a pretty loaded question. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think, um, why do you need an architect? There's lots of reasons you need an architect. Um, one we're, we're, um, the design is, uh, insured for one, you know, we, we, we have the qualifications, the license. Uh, to provide a design that meets code, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of builders, um, if you really, and I, I can't speak for all builders, of course, but of the builders I've met with who do design for their clients, their, their design is not insured, uh, number one. Their, their construction is, but the homeowner ends up sort of being left um, holding the bag if there's any issues with design. But that actually is the smaller of, of my thoughts on it. I think what's more significant is the quality of the design. You know, I've been through eight years of design school. I've studied architecture all over the world. I've written numerous, you know, lengthy documents about every nuance of these buildings that I've studied. Um, I am constantly observing the quality of our built environment and and thinking about how those nuances impact their occupants. And I'm not saying that there aren't builders out there who do that, but I think, I, I guess I would challenge, um, I would challenge anybody to think that they're gonna be a better designer uh, when they haven't had that education and constant professional experience of actually designing. Um, 
there are, as Louis Kahn once said, uh, who's a, he's a famous architect said, you know, there's the measurable and the immeasurable. And there are qualities to our built environment that you can't put your finger on, right? That, that cause the occupants, whether it's homeowners or the public to sort of respond <clears throat> to a design or a construction in a particular way. And I'm not trying to say that contractors don't understand that. I'm trying to say that most architects, including me, when we're designing, that's where our focus is. We're really not just thinking about function, but it's all those immeasurable things, right? That you can't think about, but that affect you. And that's why you need an architect, right? It, it, and also, you know, we are constantly um, required by law, but also by habit to constantly innovate and be following the, the latest trends in building technology. Um, and so, and I know builders do as well, but it, they're typically different things. Um, and so that's why I believe the open communication is really critical. You get so much more um, when you have a, a team that's a builder and a designer and um, the value is definitely there. Um, you just look at the, you know, we don't, we don't make as much as a contractor does on the project, right? It's the design fee is, you know, a small percentage. Um, and sometimes, you know, con construction companies are charging, you know, if you add it all together, 20% or more, that, that's a much bigger number than we get out of it. So my, my, um, I guess my argument for owners, including an architect is partially based on the value you get for the fee that it's, you know, it's a smaller fee relative to the contractor and, and the benefit is really huge in my opinion. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I just kind of had to throw that question out there because it is something that comes up, you know, it is, it is something that's a reality for, for me as a builder. And I, I never thought about it from the perspective of that the design is insured. I, I hadn't really considered that. Uh, but I personally don't want the added liability of being in charge of design on top of managing the project because there's too many balls in the air. And, and if you screw up space, it's, it's permanent or you're doing another, or you're, or you're remodeling a new house. Right. Which, no, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, Next, the builder disagrees with something in your design. They're like 108 degrees, really? 13 degrees? What? You know, what, what do you do? How do you, <laughs> how do you approach this situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I will always listen. I mean, me personally, I, I do trust the people I work with and otherwise I wouldn't work with them, frankly. So if, if somebody I'm working with site superintendent or whoever's like, Hey coats, you know, uh, yeah. Why is this angle, this angle? Um, I would hear them out first and foremost. And, and then if they had a specific concern, like it shouldn't be this angle because X, Y, and Z, uh, I would assess it and see if I agree with them or not, or at least talk it through. Um, 
and then try to you know either say oh actually that's a good point uh let's change it or uh no uh it's that way for a reason here's the reason um does that make sense to you you know and just try mm -hmm. to talk it through i mean at the end of the day um i will be making the decision um with the hope that the contractor can get behind it um unless it's something that puts the contractor in some kind of you know legal liability which i would have to respect you know i would i would absolutely respect that i've certainly had that happen where with particularly with roof assemblies or um wall assemblies where contractors have said i'm not going to build it that way because I did that the last time and it leaked or whatever. And so we always work that through. Um, but I'm not, I'm not the kind of artist. I don't just be like, nah, I just do it because I said so. No, I, I don't do that. Oh. <laughs> um, what is it that Frank Lloyd, Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright said when the roof leaked at his, one of his houses that he did. Yeah. If, oh, it, oh it leaked. It, go ahead. If it doesn't leak, then you spent too much time worrying about the deep details or something like that or worrying and about how it was put together yeah the the roof leak was on a was hitting a piano and he said well move the piano yeah or something yeah. like that yeah so, i mean that's really ridiculous i i think frank lloyd wright had some talent but i uh i don't worship him at all i think i think that's a really statement <laughs> very arrogant yeah, yeah absolutely yeah no doubt um yeah, and that roof assembly stuff and, and, and those big questions that come up, uh, then it's the engineer's problem, right? Then we, then we call the engineer and say, you either stamp this or, you know, and that's where I love having the engineer involved in my projects. Absolutely. I, um, okay, so kind of sticking in this thread here, uh, I was talking to an architect friend of mine, and he says the building process is client-driven. I think it's contractor driven. So what, <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Wait, so def, what do you mean the building process? Define what that, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, uh, the, the process from, from they, the client wants a product and they've come to you. And I guess my friend was thinking more that it's based on their ideas and then pushing, pushing the project along and, as my is my interpretation of what he was saying and and so then i think well i'm kind of the you know i'm the i'm the conductor you Ooh, know? i see and and i'm i'm in the middle so you're saying the whole process the yeah, design the whole, the, also the, the design process or just the building process hmm, i guess uh since since we're talking about it like it's a stool yeah the three legs let, let you know it's the design and and execution of the project because you you do have to do you do site visits you come and oh. look at your you know you're you're involved yeah, all the time. so the way, way i look at it mike is it's 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 not one or the other it it just isn't and we often like to see things in terms of black and white and and i understand that there's some contractual obligations that may make us think one way or the other but the way i like to think of it is kind of like a relay race it's like my job as the architect is to get the program budget 
and design issues resolved to the satisfaction of the contractor, meaning the, the contractor looks at the set of drawings and is like, yeah, I can build that, right? You know, and then we pass the baton, you know, it, I'm, it, it, so for the design process, I, I think that we as the architects are in the driver's seat and the contractors in the, in the co-pilot seat. But that changes once we start construction, in my opinion. For most of my projects, I see the contractors in the driver's seat and I'm in the co-pilot seat. Mm -hmm. And the, the owner's there the whole time. I don't know if we're, they're strapped to the hood or in the back seat or something, but they're there, right? They're there for the whole thing. Um, but I really see it as, as responsibility really shifts. And at the point, uh, and it, it dovetails, like it's not like a black and white, okay, well, we're on site, so I'm in charge. I, I don't see it like that either. It's a dovetail, right? It's, it's always, it's, it's a little gradually shifting balance from one to the other. And as you know, just because you've started construction, design doesn't necessarily stop. There's changes, there's surprises that come up that still need design input. And so there is, there are moments where that balance might shift, but for the most part, and that, that's true during design as well. Like when we're trying to figure something out, the, like I have a project right now, perfect example, okay, of this, this scenario. I have this project right now and we cannot, I cannot decide between it's a floor assembly question. I can't decide between steel, it's sitting on a big existing concrete slab, kind of a long story, but I can't decide between steel beams with, you know, wood joists with, you know, typical bat insulation or sprayed foam or whatever, and then a deck on top and then go up from there. Or we just put down rigid insulation and then do like a post-tension slab on top of that. And I can't, I can't decide which one's better. And so I've literally just handed it to the contractor to tell me which one is gonna be better. Like I've said, I, I'm like, either of those worked for me, which one is gonna be cheaper and easier for you to build and which one do you feel more comfortable with as the contractor? So that's where I'm saying like the balance has shifted, like the ball is in the contractor's court during the design phase to tell me what they wanna do with this aspect of, I've given them two scenarios and they're looking at both and they're pricing both. And we're talking, you know, with the structural engineer, but ultimately I'm giving this decision to the contractor because I can't decide, you know? And I think that happens during construction as well when design issues come up, you know, something doesn't get built right and we can't afford to fix it or there's a surprise or there was an error or there's a change from the owner or now we have to redesign something. It, it might shift back to us, but ultimately during construction, the contractors in the, in the driver's seat, for sure. Um, as evidenced by things like meeting minutes and, you know, when we have the OEC meetings, it's usually the contractor who's running those meetings. And that situation you're just describing uh, where, you, where, you're, where you're having a, tough time deciding between the two foundations. Yeah. The yeah. contractor is going to tell you the cheap one right away. Let's let's and, yeah. and want to go that way. But if the owner, but if the client doesn't like the look of the cheap one and they're willing to spend the money for the other one, then, you know, they, that, then the client comes look in. The ah, they're going to okay. look the same. They, 
client won't tell the difference. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's gotcha. a tricky one, but I, I think we got to stop looking at it. Like, well, who's in charge? Like we're all responsible for this project. And the only way we get there is together. Look at it. Like you remember when, I don't know if where you went to school, but when you were kids or at church or whatever, you, you do the three-legged race. Mm-hmm. It's oh, like yeah. a five-legged race. You know, we're all tied together. <laughs> My tied to you and the owners like we're all tied together and we got to run together across that finish line we can't you know if somebody falls down you can't just keep running you got to stop and pick them up and we all gotta we gotta cross that line together and i think if you bring that attitude to your projects you're gonna find it's far more enjoyable far easier and a, you know just a heck of a lot more fun and, and successful and that's what what i kind of preach in my office is we work collaboratively with everyone on the team and we listen and respect people's opinions and, and we have a good time and we have a good result, you know, and I'm, I'm fortunate to work with contractors that, you know, agree with me on that and, and, and like the work that we're doing together. Yeah, that's a great philosophy. And maybe uh, for a bonding experience, we could actually do that with some of our clients and, <laughs> and architects and go for take that out for a try. I'm getting a little old for those games, but, uh, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) It hurts falling down now. Yeah. So, Hey everybody, this interview continues tomorrow with Matthew Coates. We're going to talk about current events, how it's affecting business and Matthew's advice for the next generation, among other things. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for listening today. Go ahead and email me if you want to be on the show or want to tell me what you like or don't like about it at my email, info at thecontractinghandbook.com. And this is where I say, if you have not subscribed, please subscribe wherever you source your podcast. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Later.